When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A month ago, K-State was 3-2. and two. And when it comes to being a contender for Arlington, kind of fell off the map a little bit. Well, ever since that loss in Stillwater to the Oklahoma State Cowboys, the Cats have won three in a row. And in the last two and a half games, in extremely dominant fashion, including, I mean, no more so than the last two home games, where K-State's defense gives up a total of three points. Back-to-back games, K-State scores a total of 41 points. And your Wildcats are now 6-2 and two with a 4-1 and one record in Big 12 play. And now they get ready for a road trip and a big game at Texas this Saturday. Welcome to Wildcat Insider. I'm Mitch Fortner with the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson. A.J. Shaw running our board today. Our phone number is 537-1350 if you want to call in, ask us your question, or just give us your comment about the Cats, and we're now not talking just football. Basketball season is now on the horizon with exhibition games this week with the men playing on Wednesday and the women on Friday. And both teams open up the regular season a week from today. The men will be in Vegas against USC. And then the women at home a week from today against Presbyterian uh, in Bramlage Coliseum. Why? you're back for another show. We're back talking about another K-State victory, this time against the Houston Cougars. 41-0, back-to-back years. K-State has now gone once in non-con, one in Big 12 play with a shutout at home. I guess where do we start the offense? I guess (laughs) because uh, really my takeaway from the offense was K-State getting it done in kind of a pretty conservative way. Wasn't anything too crazy. A lot of jet sweeps like we've seen in back-to-back games. Not a whole lot of downfield attack. Well, we did see it against TCU, but downfield attacks against Houston, you know, a few of them, not too many. K-State was able to just ground and pound in the occasional pass play going down the field and really just kind of tore up Houston all day. Yeah, they did. It really was a, a very, very fine overall performance again, and I think that's one of the things that Coach Kleiman is excited about because after the OSU game in those three games since, Things have been a lot cleaner. They've created more opportunities with turnovers. They've had fewer turnovers. They've been very, very low in penalties for the most part, uh, especially Saturday. I think they had just the one penalty, if I'm not mistaken. They're running the heck out of the ball, and that's such an exciting thing. And and I think it's been quality enough that maybe some of the defensive prowess has been overlooked, a little bit at least. They pretty much shut down a Houston team that was averaging about 29 points a game and just over 400 yards. And honestly, they got very, very, very little. I mean, almost nothing. K-State's been good on third down both sides. They've been good in the red zone. No, let me rephrase that. They've been great in the red zone offensively. They've just done a lot of really, really good things. And, you know, I thought, tell me if you think this is accurate, I thought it was maybe – Will Howard's best effort of the year overall. He was good. Especially starting 12 of 12. Yeah. Um, really only, I felt like one 
pass was maybe forced, and that was just trying to go to the end zone to Jaden Jackson. And I thought maybe he had him, but it was really good coverage from Houston. You know, it, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I just didn't feel like there were a ton of risks that needed to be taken. That's truth. Yeah, because they were so dominant at the line of scrimmage, really. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers, you know, K-State had a, a better passing day numbers-wise uh, than, than they did running in, in some ways, right? I mean, they, they passed for 215 and rushed for 179. That's, that's actually really good balance. But this is a week after they rushed for, what, 343 yards against TCU. I don't know that anybody thought that was coming. But I, I think, to be honest, it, it was just they were better both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage. Uh, I think they knew it. Uh, they had just a terrific first half and I I hate to just kind of equate it to this but they kind of just coasted in the second half it was pretty easy just kind of you know it's kind of like one of those Friday afternoons where you kick your feet back on the desk and you know enjoy your iced tea and maybe work a little <laughs> what do you think I mean K-State did not need their best effort to beat Houston no I mean, Houston played like you could say they didn't get off the bus. I don't think they got off the plane once they realized it was going to be a cold day. And well, they the weren't first really time they excited Texas. about the 35-degree weather. No. That's pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, they came out. So I got at the stadium. You know, I usually get at the state, get to the stadium um, 90 minutes before kickoff, right before the clock starts, and the guys running around. Not exactly during the official warm-up portion of the of pregame. And they're just kind of getting used to the field, the environment, just kind of jogging around, whatever they do, whatever they need to get in the right zone. I barely saw any of Houston out there warming up. And then when it's time for the official warm-ups, K-State's been out there already for 15 minutes warming up, and finally here comes Houston. They warm up for 12, 13 minutes, and they head right back in. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say like Houston quit at any time. It just They didn't seem too inspired to get out there and just really compete with K-State. You know, they had some nice plays, fine, whatever. You know, and there's a when Avery Johnson had his fumble, Houston took over at their 26-yard line, at K-State's 26-yard line, and they don't punch it in. They don't even get the field goal to score any points. I mean, if if you know, if I were to have one big takeaway from the defense, it's the play against the pass. Because how many downfield shots did they take? A handful. How many did they complete? Zero. Yeah. I mean, this is a game after Donovan Smith threw for over three hundred and seventy yards, and how many did he finish with? Eighty-eight mm-hmm. on twenty-eight pass attempts. I mean, this is now. Just back-to-back incredible performances by the defense to not allow the big play and really, I wouldn't say for the most part, but do an excellent job of keeping the passing game contained and at the same time doing a great job against the run. Well, I I think it all – this is just maybe the longtime broadcaster in me with with numbers and it's just been ingrained in my head for so long. When you somewhat neutralize the run game – Everything plays off of that. Wouldn't you agree with that statement? I mean, I, I think that's just what it is. And you look at K-State's numbers right now, and they're, they're frankly off the charts in terms of rush defense. They've just been really good. Let's put it this way. They are 6-2. and two. So in eight games, they've given up 875 yards. That's 109.4 yards a game, man. And, yeah. and only five rushing touchdowns, three point seven yards per play per per carry. That's um, you can't really in this day and age do a whole heck of a lot better than that. And 
I think there are a lot of reasons for it. I mean, Uso in the middle has played well, but so have those guys that back him up. They're, they're getting good play, even though it's a lot less from from guys like Javon Banks and Damian Ila Leo. But Stan brought this up on Saturday too, a couple of different times. Some things just go unnoticed. There were a couple of plays in the game, though, where he pointed out how technically sound Cody Stuffelbean was defensively. And that's the point. They are in their rush lanes, and they are tackling better and, and all of those things. Uh, again, we've got a long ways to go, and we're going to see some uh, much better teams here uh, coming up. But but they have really taken it. You know, it's just kind of what it is. They played poorly at Oklahoma State for the most part, right? And I think it got their attention, and they've been in a different gear since. Yeah, I mean, both sides of the football woke up. Yeah, after that loss to Oklahoma State, it was it was more than Will Howard. It was like we've mentioned before. You know, there's a couple of games we've just been begging the secondary to not give the big plays, figure out their communication issues, and it's registered so well. Like they're. You mentioned on defense, like there's some things that go unnoticed, and maybe there are, like there are individual plays that go unnoticed because it's just so well done as a team. I mean, there's not, I don't have a bad thing to say about an individual. Like, you know, go back to the Oklahoma State game. I was very unhappy by the way uh, Phillip Brooks, you know, played, and it was just, it was more of an effort thing in the blocking. It wasn't so much in the receiving game. It was just more of, okay, what is he doing when he's not out in a route? Now he comes up with an 83-yard day and a great touchdown. On mm-hmm. he, you know, he read the defense really well and took off for the end zone. Will saw it right away, and it's a 40-yard touchdown, or not 40. It was a he had a 41 pass, 40-yard pass play, but Phillip Brooks had a 21-yard touchdown mm-hmm. uh, on the second touchdown of the game. But for the defense, I mean, Deuce Green's out for the year. Osromain is playing so much better than his first game against Oklahoma State. Uh, the secondary, not giving up the big plays. I mean, two more plays, that's it. Two plays of over 20 yards, like last week. Two plays of over 20 yards, and that's it. And, and they'll be stressed a little differently athletically this week, no doubt. I mean, when you're facing guys like Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Adonai Mitchell, those running backs, <laughs> it, it's it's going to be a different challenge. But I think you have to be excited about the progress that they've made in that secondary, really all over the field, but in particular the secondary where things were a little bit rocky early on. You know what you've got in Jacob Parrish. I mean, he's a really good cover guy and uh, really excited about where Keenan Garber is. He's gotten better. You got Will Lee back, and he's still a young player getting better. And even to a lesser degree, you know, Jordan Wright and Justice James are starting to, to come on a little bit. They're good athletes. So... You know, again, not perfect, but you've you've seen big strides there, and the those three safeties are really pretty rock solid right now, too. Frankly, Will Lee did a great job of redeeming himself. He tried to jump a route when he was kind of locked up with a mm-hmm. wide receiver, I believe it was Samuel Brown, on the play. He misses the ball and ends up being a big play for Sam Brown. Well, Will Lee ends up having an interception and he forced a fumble in the game, and what that a nice was. Game. Yeah, and he was just recently banged up, right? Yes. So he he's now back, healthy, and he's playing well. Um, I wanted to mention Keenan Garber because you brought the because you just brought him up here a few moments ago. I think he is proving week in week out right now that he has become a lockdown defender. I have been so blown away 
maybe him so more than anybody else this year, about how consistent and play in and play out, how well he has kept up with receivers in man coverage. One-on-one, deep throws against him, he's right there with his guy, and he is making plays. Well, you said a lot there, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree because there's no real reason to. Uh, I may not be watching it quite as closely as you are necessarily, but I I think the biggest thing for me that sticks out is, and and these are obvious things, but he's being well coached. Van Malone's really good at what he does. He's not bad, yeah. And, And then secondarily, the guy can really scoot. I mean, he's one of the fastest players on the team, and I think he is overcoming that's probably even the wrong way to say it. I was going to say overcoming a lack of experience. He's been in the program a long time, but he's only been a corner for less than a year. And think about that for a second. Uh, so the level at which he's playing is pretty impressive when you when you cut it like that. Especially, you know, didn't become a corner to what, two days prior to the Big 12 championship game? And then who was it? Echo. Echo got hurt. So he has to play now. Yeah, and they, and they move. The, the impressive thing about that that I'll always remember about that game and that team and that season was in that particular game, when, you, when Echo goes down, I remember thinking, oh, we could be in real trouble now. But Jacob Parrish, they slide him to a different position. You don't notice. And then you notice Keenan playing really, really well. And that was one of the coolest things that happened on a spectacular day for K-State football. Uh, a couple more things, you know, just to shout out a couple more guys. Um, how about Cooper Beebe? Of course, once again, he is the best interior offensive lineman in the game right now uh, at the college level. Uh, had that pancake, I mean, breakfast football, he's serving up pancakes <laughs> on that rushing touchdown for DJ Giddens. Some may forget, though, he actually gave up a sack early in the game. Uh, maybe him slash KT Leviston because probably should have been a double team. Maybe Coop was thinking it would be a double team. And, you know, Houston ends up getting that sack. But I got to say, bouncing off of that, the way K-State played on third down. If I'm not mistaken, that's the first sack he's allowed since 2021. I have no idea. (laughs) You would have that stat. I would not. Um, But that led to a third down and long. K-State converts on a screen play to DJ Giddens. If I did have one big takeaway from the offense, other than just it was kind of a conservative day and they still dominated – once again, another game-in-and-game-out type of play. DJ Giddens is a hard dude to tackle. Sure he is. Holy cow, is he yeah. a hard dude to tackle. You can't try to one-on-one him while he's in stride, tackle him low, or try to ankle tackle him if you have a bad angle. He's going to run right through it. Dudes bounce off the guy. And it's been happening consistently, putting up some decent numbers. And Again, it's maybe sometimes run running back by committee. Treshawn Ward was the better guy against Texas Tech. But, you know, quietly – DJ Giddens is now up to about 800 yards on the year. He's at 722. Okay, maybe a little bit short of 800, but he's, he's but, he'll get there. But listen to this. Per carry, 6.2. Yeah. That is outstanding at any any level of football. And, and I'm like you. I love his toughness. I think uh, he's really developed into a really good player. I think he's been more consistent in the last, say, three or four games than he probably was in the first couple of two or three. But that may be true for virtually everybody, most everybody, not all necessarily, but 
He can play, and, and I, I really like what Treshawn brings, too, with, the, with those guys in combination. Yeah, now both of them being involved not only in the run game but in the passing game, those mm-hmm. are two guys that are playing their absolute tails off right yeah. now. Like When it comes to effort, fighting for extra yards, those are the two that obviously stand out the most. And Treshawn has been – not only just DJ Giddens, Treshawn has been doing an excellent job of breaking tackles and, and fighting for those extra yards. I think it happened twice where maybe K-State should have been short – and Treshawn is fighting for extra yards and got K-State a first down. He does have, you know, it's interesting because I stand here a couple of weeks ago said that he was learning to play the K-State way, and I thought that was so interesting, and I've thought a lot about it since that time because, you know, it, it is a good point. I mean, th- there are things that are done here that may be a little bit different than where he was before, um, and, and I think uh, everybody um, comes in here and, and learns, you know, at different paces. Uh, but but they all kind of, after a while, understand, you know, kind of what this program is and how hard they work. Blue collar guys, you know, what I'm saying. And 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 I I think he's figured some of that kind of stuff out. His effort is is really good. Um, it certainly helps, of course, that he is healthy again. You know, he was pretty good early, and then had you know a couple two or three games there where it was just fighting through the injury stuff. But but now being healthy. Game's a lot more fun to play when you're healthy. It's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> K State first half against TCU at 406 yards, yeah. and K State does not reach 406 yards in the game against Houston. So they also did it without uh, having to chew up the most yardage. Three, I lost my spot here. 394 for K State. Yeah, that's the one thing about the game. To be honest with you, usually when you just whitewash somebody 41 to nothing you're thinking you know there's a five or 550 or 600 yard day that necessarily was not necessarily the case here and yet they as we said before they were pretty dominant on both sides of the ball and um, it's I mean it's it's 28 nothing at half and you know in the second half they're just kind of grinding and getting through the thing Third down conversions with another big stat as well. K-State 10 of 14. Houston 3 of 14. Let me give you some nuggets here. So 10 third down conversions. This was uh, said by K-State after the game. Uh, 10 third down conversions is the second straight week. K-State has converted 10 third downs. First time that has happened since at least 2003. K-State on third down conversion percentage is at 55%. That is fourth best in the nation behind LSU, Michigan, and Georgia in the last two games. K-State 20 of 27 for 74%. And then third down conversion defense, K-State is sixth in the nation behind Georgia, Utah, Texas, Penn State, Oklahoma, last two games, just giving up five of 27 on third down conversions. Last year they were 34%. Right now K-State defensively is 28.9%. In th- third down conversion defense, yeah, they've been better there. I think they've taken a real step forward um, since maybe those first couple of ball games or so. And you know, it, it's so good to see because I think what we're describing here is is a defense that continues to improve. They've fought through some things. Uh, I think right now, what I would say is is one, they really give good effort. Two, they're pretty technically sound, and three, they're they're tackling right now as, as well as they have or better than they have all season long. All right, we take our first break on Wildcat Insider. In hour number two, got a couple of things happening here. We will talk K-State hoops. We'll preview the Texas Longhorns. But also at around 520 at the end of the first segment in hour number two, 
We are giving away four tickets to K-State basketball when they host Emporia State this Wednesday uh, for its exhibition game. So if you want four tickets to K-State against Emporia State Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, you got to be ready to call in at around 520. Uh, and by the way, if you want the tickets, you got to make sure you pick them up before 5 o'clock on Wednesday or else we can't give you the tickets. But your chance to win is coming up in about an hour. When we come back, we're going to hear from Philip Brooks on Wildcat Insider. We are back on uh, Wildcat Insider. Mitch Fortner, the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson, and A.J. Shaw. Phone number is 537-1350 if you want to call in and uh, give us a comment or a question about uh, the Cats. I want to remind everybody that tonight at Toyton Family Stadium is the K-State Baseball Annual ALS Halloween game. All the players will be in costume and playing a baseball game. Meanwhile, raising money for ALS. Um, Pete Hughes puts this on every year. Uh, it starts at 6 o'clock, Toynton Family Stadium, and it's also admission is free. So go out and watch some free baseball and help K-State raise money for ALS. Great thing. Yeah. He's amazing that way, isn't he? So impressive. And, yeah, I get it. It's a little bit chilly out there, but maybe you can make it out for just a little bit. Well, uh, jumping back to K-State football, uh, Troy mentioned there in the update – that K-State ranked 25th in the AP. They're still not receiving votes. or They're receiving votes, but they're not in the top 25 in the coaches' poll. You know, yes, you feel like K-State is a bit disrespected there. They're now 6-2. and two. They've dominated the last handful of games. You know, Oklahoma State is still not ranked uh, after they've been kind of cruising right now, especially with Ollie Gordon. I mean, do you think it, they're seething a little bit there with, you know, I mean, they, they beat K-State. They beat Kansas. They've won four in a row, right? Yeah. And they're not in there. I I mean, I can't explain it. Can you? No. No, I can't. I, I would uh, I would say if they've – I'd understand if they felt a little disrespected today. I mean, Ollie Gordon in five Big 12 games I think is averaging about 195. He's been really, yeah. really good. And, and their offensive line has been uh, much more productive. They did some – you know, last year they were so beat up there – Especially when we saw them, they they were really hurt bad by by injuries. And this year, they they had a couple early that weren't significant, like major injuries. But you know, it made them kind of mix and match a little bit. It's probably made them better to a degree. They're starting to hit their stride. I'll, I'll really be anxious to to see how that game goes this week because they've got the Bedlam series game this week and. Might be the last time those two teams play for a while, which is yeah. certainly sad, but so. Uh, before we hear from Phillip Brooks, I'd actually like to get your thoughts on Phillip Brooks' season. Uh, he has actually taken the lead for K-State when it comes to leading uh, receiver. 430 yards, he has three touchdowns on the year. I believe it has actually now been, If I unless I'm forgetting one, I think it's now been, and I just kind of thought this up quickly in my head, maybe a game or two off. It's been 20 games since he's had a punt return for a touchdown. He's had very few opportunities That's the to return one thing. this year. Yeah, most are, are not kicking to him, and, and you certainly can't blame him. I mean, he's had 10 return tries in eight games. That's it. And 72 yards in return. That's that's not normal. I mean, to, to give you an idea, it, and, and again, everybody understands that he's in his sixth year, but, you know, he had a – like in 2020, had 261 yards in return and a couple of touchdowns. Had a touchdown return in 19 and and another in 2022. So he's pretty good at it, just not getting the same kind of opportunities now. Uh, 
Yeah, he's in his sixth year, and uh, as of the game against Houston, he's now played in 61 games, which, according to K-State, they believe that that is an all-time record for most games played by an inv- uh, individual at K-State. He's How many six-year guys are on the team? Is it six? six. Okay. Yeah. And he's got now 3,649 career all-purpose yards. I get it at six seasons, but that's still a bunch of yards. And I believe he's actually, I think he's 75 yards away from 2,000 receiving yards now. That's pretty close. I think he's, let's see, actually he's closer than that. He's at 1975 receiving yards. Oh, 25. There you go. Yeah. He's got 1,975 all-time receiving yards, 114 rush on just 27 carries. That's, That's over four yards a tote. He has 713 punt return yards and 847 kick return yards. That's not bad. Well, not just him scoring, but his best bud, uh, Seth Porter, also (laughs) had a touchdown, his first of his career against Houston. Here's a little uh, bit of the Phillip Brooks presser after the game on Saturday. How good did that win feel today? Um, Just to be able to put back-to-back weeks like that of a dominant performance was very fulfilling. Uh, I got to see a couple guys get in there that have been working really hard offensively make some plays as well today so it was a it was a great win for me yeah your best friends with Seth Porter so what did that moment mean for you at this to see him get his first score oh uh, yeah no it was a it was it was an emotional moment for me because we came in together we both walked on together we both earned a scholarship together we worked out together and man let me tell you that dude Seth he's the one of the hardest working dudes I ever I've ever seen with my own eyes at least um he don't take no plays off he goes hard every day. Like I said, in the locker room in front of all the guys, like he's a definition of what it means to be a Wildcat. So just seeing somebody work so hard and then get what they deserve was just very special. When do you feel like you guys proved or showed today? Like I said earlier, we put back-to-back weeks together. Uh, we show that defensively we're, we're a tough team to score on, and offensively we can score. So um, just continuing that, uh, we got Texas next week, so – that's what our mindset is shifted on. We're going to celebrate today, of course, but uh, we're going to get back to work. Looking forward to Texas. We haven't beat them since I've been here, so definitely looking forward to that. All right, once again, that's Phillip Brooks uh, after the game, K-State beating Houston 41 uh, to nothing. Um, you know, it, it's been really cool the last couple of games seeing, first of all, Will Swanson. He got his first touchdown against TCU. Seth Porter, who has been – a special teams guy for a long time, which, by the way, he's been the best special teams player, especially on coverage, going to get tackles. I mean, he's making them every day. Um, but him to get his first touchdown is great. You know, Garrett Oakley scoring, fantastic. Love it. No Freshman, doubt. good for him. But it's when it's the fifth-year guys, the sixth-year guys, they get their first touchdown. That is really exciting, especially when you watch the guys celebrate the touchdowns. I mean, that's worth it right there. Well, it is because you can kind of tell, right? I mean, you really can tell. And – Listening to those words of Philip Brooks talking about Seth Porter was so right on task. I mean, that is, in so many ways, a a guy like him is what K State football is kind of known for by you know a a lot of us, right? I mean, walk on, small, (laughs) been told all his life he can't do this and he can't do that and he can't do this and he can't do that, and here he is six years later and he's had a pretty good little run and. To see him hit that end zone for the first time, man, I was pumped. I, I can't even imagine what it was like for Philip. <laughs> you can tell from his comments, though. He, he absolutely loved it. But 
this is going to be the most important game, obviously, up to you know for this year for K State and going to need the wide receivers to show up and get ready to make some plays downfield against a very good defense from the Texas Longhorns, and that includes Phillip Brooks. Also, you know, speaking of receivers, how many guys? Okay, let me count them up here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven different guys had a reception in the game. It was such a butt kicking that guys started getting in the game and making plays that I did not have on my public address announcer chart. I cut out maybe five names on that chart. I was like, I doubt we ever see him play, so I'm going to take him off so I can just I can have them all on one page. I don't need multiple pages. Well, two of them that were cut out made plays in can the I game. Can I guess who they are? Yeah, go ahead, because I'm sure you'll – yeah. I'm going to say Zach Wittenberg is one. Yep. <laughs> linebacker, I believe he plays linebacker. You know, again, I was like – you know, I had to go to a secondary chart. I was like, I had to go find another chart to find his name. I was like, oh, God, I don't have his number on here. Yeah, Zach Wittenberg certainly, when I, you know, when he made the play. Um, he made another, two. Yeah, I think he had two tackles. He did. Uh, I'm assuming you have Jace Friesen on your list, Yes, though. I do. Yeah. Um, who would the other one be? The other one would be at a, oh, a hint. And this may give it away, offense. Oh, okay. Well, that, let's see who would have been who would have been the offensive guy this week. Boy, I'm 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 lost. Who was it? Eric Pizarro. Oh yeah, yeah, with the catch. Yeah, yeah. That and that was late too, wasn't it? It, it was. was over I loved the, it. I loved it a couple of weeks ago because when Jace Brown caught his first pass, they completely screwed up who got the catch. <laughs> Are you talking about the Texas Tech game? No, I'm talking about the TCU game because on the stats, they got the wrong person with the catch. Because it, it will oh, happen sometimes. They had a Keenan Garber. Because yeah. it's a duplicate number is why. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It'll yeah. happen sometimes, especially when K-State plays on the road. Yes, yeah. if, if Jace Brown got the catch, it would go to Keenan Garber. I, I've right. seen that happen many times. Sure. And it's hard with, with so many, you know, you know, especially the home team with so many duplicate numbers. You mm-hmm. You can see as the – Visiting announcer, I can assure you, with all of my years of experience, it probably happens more than than most of us would like to admit. I mean, it's just kind of part of it. You, you, usually, on those duplicate numbers, a lot of guys will have, you know, a roster in front of them, and the offensive guys are, you know, highlight with a highlighter or whatever to to make it just different. But you still, hey, even spotters do it, right? They a lot, yeah. of, a lot of spotters aren't. I mean, I have one of the best spotters around. And he's here on Saturdays, and that's it. So it, it happens. I ask my guys, you know, especially in, when it's late in the game like that, and guys, certain guys are getting in. And also, especially on special teams, because <laughs> sometimes, of course, there's duplicate numbers, but either number could be out there. Either one of those guys that share that number could be out there to go make a play, especially with kick returners. That will happen, and it did with Houston. I had to ask a couple of times about what the last name was just to double check, because it could be either one. A couple of other guys that we probably should mention since we're spending some time talking about this, that it was really cool that, that they got into the game. And it, it's not necessarily the first time, but it's only happened a couple of times for Joe Hall. Oh, yeah. W- which was well, really neat. Well, there was a video that got out there. So Joe Hall, dad, yeah, dad on Joe the sideline, Hall, what, yeah. had his phone out and maybe taped a little bit of it, which I don't know if that's allowed, but he did anyway. <laughs> I was like, this should, uh, he's, he's a dad with a kid on the field. That's you know? right. That's right. So you, you, you really – appreciate those kind of guys and um he he really stuck out to me but so did Titus Tua Yasasopo. You know, Wamigo kid, Wamigo Manhattan kid, kid. Yeah. yeah, dad coaches here. 
I was yeah. really hoping it would make a play because I did notice him out there. I was like, yeah, let's get let's That's get him announcement yes, here. Sir. Let's That's get him one. Deal. Yeah. All right, let's take our next break. Uh, when we come back, by the way, Cat's bowl eligible. We haven't even mentioned that yet. It's kind of coach said it after the game. We didn't even think about that. We didn't even <laughs> mention it. We're just you know we have bigger goals. I get that, but hey. There'll be a 13th game on the schedule, no doubt. And that'll be the 25th bowl all-time for K-State football, 12th bowl appearance in the last 14 years. When we come back, take a look back at this past weekend in the Big 12 after this. We are back. Wildcat insider Mitch Fortner, Wyatt Thompson, A.J. Shaw. A reminder, coming up at about 520, we're giving away four tickets to the K-State exhibition. That's men's basketball exhibition on Wednesday against Emporia State. Around 520, I'll ask for a particular caller. And if that's you, you're winning four tickets to the game. Just make sure if you call in, you can go to the game and you can pick up the tickets from the radio station by 5 o'clock on Wednesday. All right, taking a look back at the last weekend in the Big 12. I, I guess we'll start in Lawrence. They had themselves a little bit of a rain-lightning delay, which the rain never showed up for our game, which was great. Uh, we were hoping it would stay away after maybe a little bit of a threat in the second half uh, when we did PowerCat game day. The Kansas Jayhawks end an 18-game losing streak to number 6 Oklahoma, where KU scores in the final couple of minutes. Oklahoma could not get, it, uh, get a score in the end zone. As time expired, it was knocked away or kind of intercepted, but out of bounds. Kansas beats Oklahoma to hand the Sooners their first loss. Now it's 7-1, 38-33 the final. How surprised were you? Not overly? I, you know, I knew Oklahoma would lose at some point. Although I still feel that, you know, now with them losing, maybe somebody could get in with two losses, but I still feel like, you know, one loss into the Big 12 championship might be you know what you have to be to get into the get into Arlington but was I completely surprised not necessarily with the game in Lawrence you know um, but I still was a little bit well I, I think what I would say is is that what really was good for Kansas was the quick start where you just boom boom like that and mm-hmm. it's 14 to nothing because they got the the pick six right out of the gate from Dylan Gabriel is an awful pass terrible so it, it's 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 basically fourteen nothing, but Oklahoma overcomes that. What they couldn't overcome was, I'm just going to be blunt and say this: some coaching question mark kind of decisions, um, and probably not great execution. But but more more the the former than the latter towards the end of the game. I mean they they wasted a few seconds on a couple of different plays. Um, just an interesting ending to the game. The two-minute drill, was, you know, they obviously needed the big play, but you're right. Execution, urgency was missing, of course. I thought when Even they, when they were ahead, though, all they really needed was another first down, and it looked to me like they, they – I mean, I guess it's easy to say this in retrospect, but they weren't overly aggressive necessarily in, in the play calls there to, to put the game on ice. So being through two straight interceptions after the second one – their strategy and this was set after the game they just wanted to KU sure. to use up their timeouts and I'm like I know I, I understand well, that but yeah you, okay you need a first down and you get the win guys <laughs> yeah I mean at the end of the day when KU gets the ball back with you know two minutes and change or whatever and they only need a field goal right they need because it was a one-point game I think or I can't remember 33 32 right yeah so yeah. they needed a field goal to win it mm-hmm. I mean at the end of the day if they have one timeout left I mean, that's not a huge difference. It really isn't when it comes to what they need at the end of the game, how much time is left. 
You just need the first down. Go get the first down, not just run it with three different running backs on the last three plays You to maybe go win the game. The other thing is for Oklahoma, they had some injuries kind of stack up on them. I mean, Danny Stutzman was out for basically the second half. He's their in That's, my opinion, the best player on defense. Well, if he's not the best player, he's the most significant because of the leadership part. I mean, J- you could argue that Jared Canning's pretty dang good, too, and maybe a couple of others. What? But And Jared Canning got hurt in the game as well. One of their best secondary guys got hurt. I don't think returned for the game. And on, on offense, Jalil Farouk didn't play. Yeah, that's big. So they had a bunch of guys you know, not available. So that, and there me, wasn't a lot of difference in the two. If we're being honest, I mean, you look at the, the numbers at the end of the day, 440 yards for Oklahoma, 443 for Kansas. <laughs> not a lot of separation there. Uh, both got a, a – you know, I thought Jason Bean also as well got away with some pretty ugly passes. Well, he and, did. But, but you know what? I, I think some – I said this last week. Uh, he has done a very good job of being the number one guy – and being called the number two guy since Jalen Daniels has been hurt. He just shows up and plays. Is he perfect? No. But uh, you know what? you got to appreciate his toughness and his ability to compete, and he does all of that. But i got to say at the end of the day, you know, I'm definitely like, hey, KU lose every game, please, and I'll be happy. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, this did help out a lot of people in the Big 12. This oh. helped out K-State especially because now K-State controls its own destiny. Just go win – and you're heading to Arlington. Yeah, there's a yeah. five-way tie for first. Who would have thought that, you know, three or four weeks ago? Well, and especially with a couple of teams that's in there, that's right. a surprise. Mm-hmm. And that includes Oklahoma State and Iowa State, who thought we thought they maybe bottom half of the Big Twelve. And well, now those were those were the two teams that everybody wrote off early, right? I certainly did. Yeah, I did honestly. Mm-hmm. And then K State, Oklahoma, and Texas. KU is a game back right now of everybody else at three and two, along with West Virginia and TCU. Let's get to uh, a couple of more games here. We're not going to get to all of them. Uh, but the other one we got to talk about is Texas and BYU. Uh, Malik Murphy, a quarterback, gets his first start as a redshirt freshman, taking over for Quinn Ewers, who's out two to four weeks, is most likely not going to play against K-State. Um, you know, he was okay. He looked nervous. He didn't have a great performance. He had a fumble and an interception. Texas got it done with the ground game. Jonathan Brooks nearly had 100 yards, and plus with their defense. BYU terrible on offense. Well, if you look at what – uh, Texas did. They had pretty good balance. They rushed, though, for 184 yards. And I think Murphy probably gave them about what they hoped he would. He was 16 of 25 for 170 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. He had a couple of uh, balloonish kind of throws where it might have been a little bit too much loft or, or whatever. But in his first start, uh, even at home, I, I thought he was more than acceptable, honestly. Not great, but okay. Uh, you know, maybe good, you know, good enough that uh, they feel like they can move forward with Malik Nerf Murphy. Arch Manning doesn't come in for a couple of possessions. He needed as many snaps as he could get. Sure, I think in that BYU game to be prepared for a game against K State. The other finals uh, this past Saturday: West Virginia knocks off UCF forty-one twenty-eight. Uh, the Knights still looking for their first Big Twelve win. Uh, you know. For the most part, Iowa State take cares, takes care of Baylor 30-18, and Oklahoma State wins at home over Cincinnati 45-13. Bearcats still looking for their first Big 12 win. Well, they are. Oklahoma yeah. State ran all over them, honestly. Yeah, and, they did. And, and you know what? Baylor, Baylor didn't run the ball at all in, against Iowa State. They just couldn't run it. Uh, by the way, Ollie Gordon, who we mentioned earlier, 25 carries, 271 yards, and two touchdowns. He is chewing up the ground right now in Big 12 play. But we got to take a break. When we come back, a piece of recruiting news for K State. Another flip 
for the 24 class. That's up next. All right, good news for the class of 2024 in K-State football. Kleiman and staff have flipped another commitment. He was originally committed to North Texas, and now a wide receiver, three-star kid of Jarrell, Texas, in Jack or Jock, Jock, uh, Spradley Demps, has committed to K-State number 10 for the class of 2024. Uh, He was one of four guys that visited during the TCU week. Well, now three of those four guys have now flipped their commitment to K-State, including Colin Barta, who's from Topeka, and Boone Morris, who's an edge guy out of Texas as well, who was originally committed to UTEP. Barta was committed to Nebraska, and now that is three flips in the last couple of weeks. So nice job by the K-State recruiting staff. Uh, He clocks in at a 4-4-40. This is a fast kid, three-star, again, out of the state of Texas. Hour number two, K-State Hoops, Texas preview as well. Coming up next, and so is a ticket giveaway, so stick around. You're listening to Wildcat Insider.